Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about Aventure, a new platform that's making venture capital available to the masses. It doesn't matter if you are an accredited or non-accredited investor. Aventure provides an opportunity to diversify your investment portfolio by providing access to investing in venture capital funds. The Aventure app provides everything you need to make startup investments, including extensive research material, seamless transaction processes, and allocation measures. For fund managers, Aventure seeks to help you streamline your operations and launch your fund. Now, typically, venture capital and startup investments are liquid, which is a major pain point in our industry. Aventure is fixing this by offering periodic withdrawals for its investors. I and many others in the industry are so excited about this launch. Their first fund launch is coming early next year. So if you want to be the first in the know, join their waitlist at aventure.vc. That's A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E dot V-C. Also check the link in the show notes. Aventure is a California-based fintech company and operates independently from investment advisors on its platform who may be registered as investment advisors in the U.S. or qualify for exempt reporting status. Hello, I'm Mike Gelb, and this is the Consumer VC Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of venture capital and consumer innovation. If you're enjoying the show, you can subscribe to my newsletter where you'll receive every new episode a week early. Head to theconsumervc.com and click subscribe. All content episodes are for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not investment advice. Our guest today is Sean Riley, co-founder and CEO of Dude Wipes. Dude Wipes makes flushable wipes, billions of them, assembled right here in the USA. Dude is bootstrapped, only taking outside investment of 300K from our Cuban on Shark Tank, and are set to do 90 million this year in sales. Unbelievable. We discuss his entire journey from the aha moment to scaling the brand to where we are today. Without further ado, here's Sean. Sean, thank you so much for joining me here today. How are you? I'm doing good, Mike. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here, dude. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to talk to you and about what you've built with with Dude. This is going to be great. Um, so talk to me from the very beginning. What got you interested or, um, yeah, interested in like innovating and like how you wipe your butt? Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, you know, they say um, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? So... We were just we were just dudes <laughs> sitting around in an apartment after college, just like a situation anybody can relate to, you know. How how do we get out of the nine to five? How do we start our own business? How do we do something fun, work together, you know, just trying to open up our mind creatively to like looking for opportunities and uh and the first aha moment I had with the product was when I brought a bunch of baby wipes home from Sam's Club stocked all the bathrooms with them and this is your you know five bedroom apartments kind of animal house style you know three guys on the couch at all times people going out a lot so a lot of people coming through the apartment a lot of people using our bathrooms and very quickly it was like man guys some guys are using these baby wipes some guys aren't and any ones who weren't quickly got addicted once they started using them so that was kind of the first moment, like right in our faces, like, hey, there's these baby wipes in our apartment that everyone's getting hooked on. 
Um, yet there's no cool brands out there. There's nobody really making, you know, flushable products and, and selling them in, in a fun way. So, you know, we looked at the, at the market and the category and said, Hey, this, this looks like it's growing. We think more and more people are going to get into this. We think it's super stale and it can be disrupted. So that's when we, you know, started looking into it more seriously and the dude wipes brand came about just, you know, from dudes sitting around, what should we call it? Dude wipes, right? Pretty, pretty simple. So we thought, you know, and then we started ID Nate, like, what does that brand mean? And, and a lot of that came from like, we want this brand to be fun, approachable, blunt, you know, talk about going to the bathroom where, you know, other big toilet paper conglomerates are dancing around the subject. Right. So then we sort of started crafting like the look and the feel of the brand. Uh, honestly, before we even had an idea of who would make the product for us, we were all just like, how cool can this brand be? You know, what can we do? And so, and this was 2011, is that right? This is 2011. Yeah. When those conversations are starting to, you know, happen around the apartment and, and start testing out different wipes. So you were testing out different wipes. What, I mean, what made for, you know, like a good wipe and how did you approach, you know, initially um, after you kind of talked about, okay, this is kind of what, kind of what where we kind of see ourselves as a brand wise, you know, very fun, um, kind of making fun of ourselves in terms of what the actual, what the actual, what you actually do with yeah, the product. Yeah. Right. And, and kind of having a lot of fun around it. Um, how did you also approach like, 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 like the actual product, uh, itself and, and in your mind what makes like a great wipe yeah for sure I, I mean the one thing we did i always recommend to people is we made a one-page specification so you know even had a dude wipes logo at that time before we even had dude wipes so so that logo sat on the letterhead and then you know we said hey we wanted it to be flushable so make sure it was you know passing those guidelines we wanted it to be larger, you know, than regular wipes. And we, our first product was little pocket sized ones that fit in your pocket. So we're like, we want it to be in an individual sachet that it fits in your wallet and you could take it around everywhere. Um, so those were some of the big things, the flushability, the size. And then for us, you know, the packaging that we wanted into out the gates. And from there, we just started kind of blasting that thing around to anybody who would make wipes in the U.S. who would talk to us, you know, and that was kind of a short list because as professionals, we were trying to look, you know, people are used to dealing with really big companies. And so not a lot of them want to take flyers on entrepreneurs and, you know, start taking conversations to the next level. Um, we did end up talking to some people who were you know, in the industry. So in the non-wovens wipes sort of like trade communities, and they referred us to a couple manufacturers, you know, who they thought that were best in class. And, you know, one of those guys uh, decided to take a meeting with us. And that's where we just started building that relationship. That's awesome. That's really cool. That's really cool. And um, on the, um, and I, and I appreciate you providing, you know, um, you wanted flushable and kind of pocket size, easy, easy to transport. What was also your process? Um, I it seemed like you had a rough idea in terms of what you wanted the branding to be um, about. Um, how did you also think about to actually get the word out and having people actually know who you are? Yeah, a good brand out the gate will help you get the word out organically. So I, the fact that our brand was so real, right? Like you could tell this thing didn't come out of a big CPG, you know, boardroom. You could tell that it it just came from, you know, some guys. So, so the dude wipes like name gave us a lot of legs where 
people would have a dude wipe and give it to a friend. Hey, hey, check this out. How funny is this? And we we used to like go into bars and just put dude wipes around on all the tables. And then we'd sit back at our table and watch people get to the bar and pick up the dude wipes and look at them. And like, it never failed. They would turn them over. They would laugh. They would hand them to people. So like we would see this word of mouth just unfold right in front of our eyes because of like the fun brand and that no one was doing what we were doing. So that was everything at first. Like that was the only way to get the word out was word of mouth and sending dude wipes all over the place. So, you know, shipping dude wipes to frat houses or music festivals or um, college campuses, anything like that. We kind of got confident in the early days. Like if we got these wipes into people's hands, that word of mouth would would help us out because we like saw a lot of that in person. I I appreciate that because because it, it seems like you didn't really only rely on um you know the online channel you know e commerce. You actually wanted to get into people's you know hands at events and actually um and actually kind of out out in public and not just you know we're gonna blast this on on social media. Yeah, right. Well, we didn't know how to sell on e-commerce at first. <laughs> we did we didn't have like an e-commerce background or retail background. So, you know, we were wholesaling to some people who were throwing them up on Amazon and and so we were just kind of like marketing boots on the ground trying to sell these things to anybody. Um so yeah, we ended up learning, you know, as the first couple of years went by, okay, e-commerce is the first place we can really penetrate a lot of sales. Um, but yeah, to this day, we're still super bullish on just getting dude wipes in people's hands and re- letting the rest unfold, especially now you're available everywhere. Um, if people have an encounter with your product, they got a lot of options. They can get their hand on it, you know? Totally, totally. Now, was there kind of like a set, you know, overall launch for dude? Or was it one of those things that you just kind of kept passing it out and kind of just did these kind of guerrilla marketing kind of tactics and getting in people's hands in these, you know, interesting ways by leaving them on a bar, uh, maybe showing up at a music festival um, um, there. But like how um, was there kind of like a set plan or was it kind of just like um, just kind of putting things against the wall and seeing and seeing what would stick? No set plan. So as soon as, as soon as we got the wipes, uh, you know, I can remember this big, semi truck pulls around um in chicago you know down a tight street and you know he's thinking where am i taking these pallets and we got the first four pallets we unload them at that time one of my partners had just moved into a condo so he had a spare bedroom and we just kind of like filled up the spare bedroom and just brick by brick thought how do we empty this thing how do we you know get them in people's hands um so yeah there was no fancy launch just learn as you go Uh, but a couple things started happening early on that uh, you know helped put wind in our sales. Um, we got a, a, a nomination to be the most innovative wipe of the year, actually, in the trade um, six months after being out, and that's like an award that Swiffer has won before. And our competition at the award wow. was literally Kimberly Clark. So it was like, dude, wipes goes up on stage, presents. You know why they should win the award? Billion dollar company Kimberly Clark goes after us and presents. So like, we felt the buzz. Um, but yeah, we're just, just bootstrap cutting our teeth, you know, um, no, no official launches. What was at the point, um, of the brand that you actually felt like there was something here, you and your buddies that were like, okay, this is actually, this actually could become, you know, a pretty big business. Yeah. I always say we were very confident 
you know, as slow as those first years were, you know, he made $125,000 the first year, $250,000 the second year. So, you know, those aren't big years uh, in terms of CPG. And we were very confident, though, that this idea would always pick up steam. But in terms of actually seeing something that happens, you know, that gave us a lot more confidence. One of the first things was we were on uh, the Fantasy Factory with Robin Big. So um, if you've ever watched that show, you know, yeah. Rob Deirdrick had a cool show where they would do anything and everything in this like kind of crazy, crazy reality show. And we were sending wipes to the Fantasy Factory to him and Big Black early on. And we get a call from the MTV producers in 2014, you know, so pretty early on saying, you know, they got the wipes. We got your guys notes. We think this is super cool. You know, Rob wants to do a whole episode where one of the storylines is uh, about having a clean whole alliance and that he's going to promote wipes for, you know, a cleaner way to go to the bathroom. And they did this fake PSA commercial and this crazy, you know, stunt on MTV show just from us sending them product. And that aired in like January of 2015. And that was like, man, this is the coolest thing ever, right? Like we just put out this product a couple years ago and here are a couple of our idols are on TV doing these funny, you know, sketches with it. And we didn't have to pay a dollar to get it done. Uh, and they were just embodying what we were trying to put out there, like have fun about this, do funny humor, you know, do all sorts of wacky stuff. And it's kind of crazy when you think about it, you know, two years or so after you launch, three years after you launch, like that is unfolding on national TV. So that was like our first, like, wow, like, you know, mainstream, this got picked up a little. That's awesome. That's really cool. That's, yeah. I mean, like incredible experience there. Um, being, being, you know, picked up by a TV show for an episode. And um, yeah, I mean, Rob, big that, that really brings me back. Um, <laughs> yeah, for uh, sure. Watching that. That's awesome. I know that you're bootstrap, but was there any point, among your journey, you know, in the early days when, you know, you had, as you said, like 125K the first year, you heard 250K the second year. Was there any point that you were thinking, okay, this is going to be a large business because it has turned into a, you know, very large business. Uh, maybe we should be thinking about bringing on, you know, um, venture capital or even, you know, uh, strategic angel investors at all. Um, right. um, or, or was the idea on the plan just to always remain bootstrapped and and you being 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 you know owners of it? So early on, we did try and raise money, uh, you know, in the first couple years, but it was so small, and we weren't guys who had a bunch of experience, so there wasn't really a, a reason to believe, you know, for angels yet. Um, so you know, those first couple years, we. We almost got to the point where we're like, hey, we're spending too much money, too much time trying to get money right now. Like we need to just be focusing on selling and building. So those early rejections like kind of galvanized a little bit of like, let's just grow and go sell and figure this out on our own. Um, you know, then we do end up getting a, a seed investments when we're on the Shark Tank in, in 2015. Right. So it's actually been about seven years um, to the day since our episode aired. So that is like we're in the process of going from 250,000 to about 1.5 million that year. So that's like, and we're on Shark Tank and we're launching in our first store at Kroger. So like that's kind of a hyper growth year where that check coming in from Cuban 
actually really did help the capital because, you know, we were we were running out of money just to buy inventory to keep up with growth and then getting a, you know, a mentor on like Mark for the long run who, you know, has good network of people his own, awesome advice to give you all along the way because he's seen companies go from 500,000 to 5 million to 50 million to 500 million to 5 billion, like kind of you name it, he's seen it. So though those bootstrapped early days coupled with doing a deal with Mark on Shark Tank got us to a hump where we're, okay, now we're a multi-million dollar company. The banks will finance our capital. And, you know, we just continue to grow at a nice trajectory on our own. Um, well, of course, always taking conversations, you know, with people along the way, because um, that's what it's all about. It's not like our options aren't always open, but we just hadn't encountered, you know, a reason to go do that because we kind of did it the hard way the first three to four years. Then you kind of get to a spot where you don't need to keep chasing rounds and stuff like that. It's just all about growing the business, you know, profitably improving, you know, you got something that's really organic and sustainable, you know, for those, for those first few years, how did you approach, um, financing the business? Was it all through kind of credit cards and, and, and shuffling those or like, what was, what were kind of the ways? And also at what point did you hit profitability? Yeah, shuffling credit cards for sure. Uh, we've been profitable basically every year we've been in business um, because, you know, the first year there was no salaries. <laughs> so it was all just inventory and sales. You know, the second year I come on at a very low salary. And so we were able to really not have much fixed costs and overhead to always be profitable. And then I always tell people, like, before you get to a million bucks, you know, the banks are tough. Before you book that million dollar year with the tax man, um, the banks aren't going to give you much. So then you're leaning into credit cards, um, cabbage, which is now owned by American Express. You know, we were pulling on that line like crazy, like high interest, you know, Internet lending that taps into your PayPal and tells you, you know, how much they'll give you. And we actually had to get our credit limit upped with PayPal because we agreed to do a promo video for them. So we're like, we'll do anything to get a higher credit limit. Like, bring the cameras out here. We'll, we'll tell you how you know great uh, cabbages work for dude wipes. And they upped our credit limit to a hundred thousand dollars. And I remember that was that was a really big like moment uh, that got us over a couple humps. So yeah, all those alternative financing things we were in for a while. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, no, and I. I appreciate you sharing also that that you were kind of profitable from day one, which is great. Um, and you're always focused on that um, since you didn't, you know, raise from 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 VCs. Um, what were some of like the scrappiest things that you had to do um, that you felt like in the early days um, that maybe you wouldn't have done if you were venture backed? Yeah, I mean, everything would have been different. I think if we were venture backed, one of my favorite stories was early on when we didn't want to pay for boxes. So we get these big wholesale orders that a, that a ton of dude wipes would fit in. And uh, there was a garbage dump nearby that had a big recycling cardboard center. So we'd swing by there. We'd pick up a bunch of boxes, drop our dude wipes in them, tape them shut, bring them to UPS and ship them out. So, you know, you're not doing stuff like that if you're VC backed. But the the stuff that has so that mindset's great to have. Right. Just like it's not about resources. It's about being resourceful. And what can we get done um, has really helped us out in marketing. So like we know how to make a dollar out of a dime. You know, we know how to jump on a story on the Internet that, uh, you know, uh, a pitcher 
you know, had an accident in his pants when he took the mound and he was talking about it on a podcast. And then we're sending dude wipes to him and he's posting them on Instagram and then the news picks it up. And so we've done all these viral things over the lifetime of the brand because that's how we grew up, right? Like we have to get attention on a budget. Uh, another one, you know, people know us for is we held up dude wipe signs behind the um, announcing desk at the World Series in Chicago in 2016. And, you know, that was going viral on Twitter that there was just these big dude wipe signs behind A-Rod's head, you know, and, and we were guys living in Chicago. Cubs were in the World Series. We see this thing set up on, you know, Clark and Addison every night. We're just like, wait a minute, let's go out there with some signs and, and essentially pick it our way on the national TV. So those are some fun stories. And, and those are things that, you know, as we grow and build the team and hire, you know, marketing agencies and stuff like that. We're always making sure that they, you know, realize, hey, guys, let's continue to act this way and, and double down on those scrappy opportunities while we're, we're going to go pay for media and advertising now, you know, to to reflect the company of our size. We still hold on to those values. So that, you know, which I've talked about before, like the bootstrapping values that you get are super valuable um, where venture capital sometimes you just don't have that same scrap when you were living comfortably out the gate you know totally to totally and maybe you know don't really have maybe those like fu uh, fundamentals per se of hey we have to actually grow profitable uh, profitable and we have to be, be be profitable you know today or tomorrow rather than you know five years since the future or what have you that you might um, be in a position of strength um, if you, you know, or if you do have venture capital where you actually don't need to be profitable right away um, and kind of lose maybe that like those kind of, right. those kind of business fundamentals, uh, so to speak. I think another another interesting thing about that is like it really shows that the product is working with the consumer when someone has bootstrapped it to life because you can't advertise it to death. You know, because anybody can take a couple million dollars and show you a couple million in sales in the early years and say, hey, look at like this is working. Look at the sales. Um, but like those that's not sustainable. Right. You know, eventually you have to stand up on your own on your own legs and, and be profitable in any business at some point. You know, that day comes. And so early brands who develop that without that big budget for me, if I'm just looking back, non dude wipes anything. It just shows, hey, the customer likes this offering from that company, and they were able to get it going on their own. Totally. What were some of the elements that you learned from your customers, maybe in the early days, that maybe affected how you how you approach marketing, or maybe affected you know overall your your brand positioning? Yeah, brand positioning always been evolving. So, like you know, we come out with this brand day one, and and it was maybe too crude and too crass, and it was probably targeted to like. 18 to 23 year olds, you know, like it was, it, it, and we start understanding, Hey, moms are using these dude wipes or, you know, Hey, older guys in their forties are using these dude wipes. So we kind of have some aha moments early on where we're like, Oh, this is a lot wider, you know, than, than we envision. There's all these different, you know, people from all these different walks of life are using the brand. So that helped us like kind of like loosen up the brand and, and, and apply to, you know, more ages definitely was something we learned early on. Like we were young guys. So like we were building something for us, but then we realized all of these other people we didn't build it for 
we're liking it. And we said, all right, well, like, let's reflect our marketing accordingly to involve them a little bit more. No, that's actually really, really interesting. Um, how you, how you actually had to broaden your, your customer base and also had to change some of the language. Um, as you kind of see different, you know, use cases for, uh, for dude wipes. Talk to me a little bit about like your, your shark tank experience. I mean, how did you get selected uh, for the show all the way to how was the, the experience actually being on the show and also how has been working with Mark? Yeah. So getting on the show, like anything, it, it took a couple tries. So, you know, we applied one year, we got past a couple rounds with the producers and then, you know, got cut. Uh, the next year we come back and we're, you know, we've grown, we're about to launch in a retailer and we get through all the rounds with the producers and they finally fly us out to LA. Um, so, you know, th- th- it's all about for them, you know, showing a business that's growing and has a good chance of being successful. So yeah, we, we finally get the the shot out to LA and, and go out on the show and it's pretty much what you see on TV. Like it's, it's reality TV at its finest. Um, you know, you walk out there, the sharks don't know who you are. They don't know anything about the business. So you just walk in there cold, you give them the pitch, and then the Q&A just starts rapid firing, you know? So, so maybe a little more chaotic than it looks on TV because Mr. Wonderful's yelling over her, Javek, over you know, Cuban's <laughs> yelling over Barbara. It's, it's a little crazy because they're all trying to get answers and, and trying to get a deal um, on the show. But it, it was a huge moment for the brand. And once you get past those... Uh, you know, early nerves of walking out there and pitching, you know, you're a little nervous at first, then you're in the zone because you're answering questions about your business that you've prepared diligently for, you know, so that then you're into the deal making process. And that's when, you know, Cuban was out on our episode, her Javek and Mr. Wonderful were both in, but they were beating us up over two and a half percent of equity. So we were like, hey, guys, like, we're already up where we came from. This is the highest we're willing to go. And they were fighting back and forth over two and a half percent. And that's when Cuban, who had been out for about 30 minutes, stood up and he said, I'll take it at exactly what you're asking for. Just stood up. We shook his hand and he swooped it right away from him. And and they show after we left, you know, he's like, because he even said he wasn't a wipes guy. I'm not a wipes guy for that reason. I'm out. Um, but after we left. He was saying, you know what? Those, those are smart, hardworking guys. I think they're going to get it done. So he was betting on the the jockeys, you know, more than the horses at that point. And that's why he came in. And, and uh, yeah, so that was, that was how the deal all went down, you know, super exciting and, and Super Bowl um, moment for the brand to be on Shark Tank. There's plenty of people who that's what they know us from. And we've been on two update episodes since. And, you know, so a lot of notoriety and press that we didn't have to pay for has come from the show that you really can't put a value on essentially at this point. Totally. What were some of, and I, and I appreciate you walking us through the entire, you know, sequence of, of the show. Um, and I know it's like such an incredible bump when you're, you know, a short time company and, you know, kind of in, in the days that actually happens, you have to prepare your website that it doesn't uh, crash or yeah, something yeah. like that just because people are always, are always trying to buy your product. Um, what were some of your, since you've, you know, Mark's now, of course, been a partner in the business for, you know, uh, seven years. What are some of the things you've learned from, from Mark and, and, and what, what impact has he had on your business? Cause I think that when we see Shark Tank, we've seen, you know, you kind of just see obviously the pitch and then the deal happen, but what's actually happened past the deal? 
So for us, Mark has been an amazing mentor, you know, for the business. And and he's done some really cool things like, you know, got involved in one of our marketing videos and did a cameo there. I saw that. That's yeah, awesome. yeah. And he's always shouting out Dude Wipes. He was just in Forbes and, you know, Dude Wipes got a plug in his Forbes issue. And so he's always promoting us and kind of cheering us on. And early on, you know, the team had some kind of like nuts and bolts things that could help us out. Um Probably the one thing that maybe people don't conceive is like a shark can't at the same time, they can't sell product for you or they can't operate your business for you. You know, Uh, like we all know from, you know, investors is, you know, they 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 sit at a top level and, and provide insight and capital. So, you know, Mark's insight has really helped us early on. You're like an entrepreneur and you're just you're gasping for air, right? Like you're trying to make sales. You're trying to grow wherever you can. It's very, it's very frantic. And like Mark from an outsider's perspective would be like, Hey guys, you're trying to do too much. You know, you're trying to sell in all these stores, but you guys just got into 200 targets. Why don't you focus all your effort on winning in those 200 targets and then move to 400 targets. And, you know, so he, likes to kind of preach focus and, and his line is don't drown in opportunity. And I think early on we were drowning in opportunity. And I don't think that's too untypical for early entrepreneurs and first time entrepreneurs. You just want to win and you want to sell and you want to get everything done at all costs. But when you have someone who's sitting from an outside strategic perspective they're able to kind of focus you in and, and give you some good advice there. And, you know, so Mark's not looking for what's going right in the business. He's looking for what's going wrong. Tell me what problems you're having. Tell me things you don't know. Tell me what's worrying you. And I will give you my advice or point you to some resources to try and solve that problem. So he is very uh, vocal about that on his updates. Like, don't just, you know, tell me about all the rainbows and sunshines going on with dude wipes. You know, I want to hear about all the down and dirty issues because he's like, if you don't tell me those things, I can't help you. Um, so yeah, just, just that outside mentorship from very smart guy who's seen, you know, so many different business experiences, um, has been invaluable and we don't know, you know, where we'd be without it. Of course, we're entrepreneurs. We, we'd still be successful. We'd figure it out one way or another. Um, but at, at what cost, you know, without having, and, and venture capital does a great job of that sometimes too. You know, when they come in and they have dedicated resources with their capital and and you're getting insight from guys who have done something in your industry before too. So um, yeah, that, that's been our, you know, sort of uh, big cheerleader mentor. What was your first crack at expanding into retail and becoming like an omnichannel brand? And how did you think about which retailer you wanted to partner with from from the get-go? So from the get-go, it was anybody who would give us a meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. For sure. So like I can remember early on, we got meetings with like Walgreens because they were local to Chicago. And this is, you know, way before we actually got a brick and mortar to say yes. And, you know... We're sitting in there and we're pitching the product and we're so excited. And it's like, these guys took the meeting as a flyer. Like our business had no business being in Walgreens at that point. You know, it was too small. It didn't make sense. But you're kind of taking anything you can get early on to find that one that you can learn from, even if it's like a failure, you know, just somebody who's going to give you a shot and put you, you know, on shelf and national distribution 
So if I was doing it now, I'd have a little smarter way to look at it. And I'd be like, hey, you know, who sells the most toilet paper? You know, let me make a short list. Let me go at all those guys. But early on, it was, you know, what decision makers will meet with us? And Kroger ended up being that first decision maker um, that would meet with us. And so we got a meeting with the national buyer of toilet paper in Cincinnati, you know, at Kroger. And that was like, you know, that was our big first meeting where we had to be, you know, make it or break it, you know, come in there, all the info laid out. We were really able to show them all our success on Amazon. So that what that's what ended up getting retailers to believe was, hey, look at we're doing a million dollars on Amazon. You know, there's there's some proof here that the customer likes this product and we think your customer might too. And then you just get a guy who takes takes a flyer and believes in you. And so it was sort of a cowboy buyer at Kroger. And, you know, he, he looked at us and he said, you know what, guys, I love it. I think you're onto something. I'm going to give you a shot. I'm going to put this one skew in all stores, you know, and we're just sitting there dumbfounded. And he's like, and don't screw it up. Don't let me down. You know, don't be short on inventory. Don't miss your shipments. Like I'm giving you, and he was right. You know, he's like, I'm giving you guys a chance here that no one has gave you yet and uh, make sure you deliver. So you will find somebody eventually like that. If your product is working, you'll find somebody who wants to be that first first risk taker, you know? For sure, for sure. And I, I also love the fact that also it's, you know, don't don't screw it up. Um, because, you know, this is, you know, your opportunity. And so as you say, be on, be on time with your shipments, um, be on time when you're back in your logistics, um, you know, don't, uh, don't screw this up because, you know, we are giving you a shot. And so, um, you know, take it very seriously, um, which it, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Um, how did you also think about maybe expanding beyond, you know, product lines from wipes and has that been, you know, successful or, or not successful? Mostly unsuccessful for the most part. And I've been pretty vocal about that. You know, we have launched deodorants and, and soaps and stuff like that in like 2019. And it was really off of, um, off of the playbook of making the brand a platform, you know, which I think you hear a lot in private equity, you know, like, Hey, you know, platform this brand out and, and enter all these different categories and stuff like that. So we were trying to kind of run that playbook and, and introduce, you know, new categories and new SKUs with the dude brand. Cause you know, we think the dude brand's cool, right? Like what can it do, you know? And what we ended up realizing, you know, was a, a company like us doesn't have the capital structure to support multiple uh, fronts. You know, we, we have to be concentrating on supporting the marketing and the inventory and the mission of Dude Wipes, especially when your initial idea is still growing like hotcakes. It's probably not a good idea to do anything else. Um, and that's what we learned. And, and COVID is what hit and really taught us, oh, yeah, you guys need to be only be focusing on Dude Wipes because we were selling them faster than we could produce them. All new people were getting hooked on them. The business was tripling, you know, in one year and it, we decided to cut everything that wasn't a distraction and double down on dude wipes. And, you know, the business has been much better for it. We still believe like we're day one in this business. Um, you know, currently we're about 1% of the $11 billion plus U.S. toilet paper industry. 
So we like to wow. just say we're just a hair on a pimple of the butt of the toilet paper industry. Like we're nothing, you know, like they don't care about us. And, and we can double and triple this business by getting to two, three percent. And, you know, in my opinion, brands can really only mean like one thing to the consumer, you know, like dude wipes means flushable wipes and, and, you know, Cottonelle doesn't also sell paper towels, right? They just sell two products to wipe your butt with. One's a toilet paper and one's a wipe. So Charmin only sells two products, a toilet paper and a wipe. So, you know, if you look to the really big strategics in CPG, they are concentrating on meaning like one thing to the consumer. So, yeah, we're a lot less bullish on extensions. We do have some interesting stuff we're doing now where at least if we're going to put out anything else, we're focused around the toilet and the conversation around there. So we have one pretty innovative product that's taken off a little bit called the Dude Bomb. So we say before you drop a bomb, drop a Dude Bomb. And it's a little tab that hits the toilet, creates that odor barrier, also cleans it. So super innovative, kind of first of its kind cool. product. And so we still are experimenting, especially online, to see if we can find another Grand Slam. But we're very vocal at never at the expense of, you know, the girl that took us to the dance, which is Dude Wipes. Right. And not, I guess, too outside of, you know, always kind of thinking about maybe um, cleanliness around the toilet per se, and not just like a deodorant right. yeah, or yeah. something that's, you know, not. Um, so it's always kind of focused on that one yep. area. What, talk me through a little bit of COVID. I'd imagine that you're, I mean, I think that you alluded to that your sales kind of uh, skyrocketed um, during it, but like, were you finding like different use cases for dude wipes? Um, what were some of like the, what, what was kind of going through your mind when uh, COVID first started happening? So it hit it really quick, right? It was like within a matter of weeks in March, all the toilet paper's gone, <laughs> you know? So it, nobody could have saw it coming in. And all of a sudden we're getting these purchase order requests from retailers that are like nothing we've ever seen before, you know, 10 times the size of a normal purchase order. And so within a matter of two weeks, we have no dude wipes. They're gone, right? Like, we're not going to sit on them. We're just going to sell them all to the consumers, you know? So we get, you know, completely wiped out of inventory, but we're always making more. So we make them here in the U.S. You know, we store them in the Chicagoland area and we distribute from here. So very quickly, we're getting replenished and we're shipping right back out. So it hits the floor, it ships out the door. It hits the floor, it ships out the door. That happened for about six months of just in and out inventory. But at the same time, we're working with our partner on manufacturing who we've been with since day one. And we're just saying, make us more, make us more. Like, let's get on another line. And so we grew very quickly together to be manufacturing three times the wipes that we were making pre-COVID to serve, you know, our customers. So call it the big retailers. But then the interesting thing that happened after that was the demand didn't go away. So once all of these retailers were back up full and toilet paper wasn't wow. uh, as good as gold, it wasn't this hot commodity that you could go to the store and you could buy either. People just like we were those early days, the dudes in the apartment, people got hooked. You know, they had to try it because there wasn't these other options. And now they're in the category long term. So it kind of sped up like the adoption curve of dude wipes a little bit hyper, you know, hyper speed over the course of a year. 
And, you know, 2021 was a much bigger year than 2020. 2022 was a much bigger year than 2020. So I think that's from the outsider's perspective, probably the most interesting thing. It, it wasn't like hand sanitizer, you know, where the sales go through the roof and now they're back at the floor. It was, you know, this, this growth curve has continued in our category. Yeah, it's actually like a, a stickier product per se. Um, and that people are actually, you know, re- the retention rates are actually pretty good. Um, and people yeah. are actually reusing it. Um, and exactly. it's not just like, as you said, like hand sanitizer where there's huge lift um, the past couple of years, but it's probably going to go down. Um, the product or, is not or, sticky though. You don't want, you don't want a sticky butt, you know, so it's a nice. Yeah, I know for sticky. sure. For sure. For sure. Sonic product is not sticky though, for sure. Have it. For sure. Have it is sticky for, for sure. sure. No, no. That, and that's a great point. And that is something we always knew, but like certain things happen where it really makes it obvious to you. Oh, wow. This is, this is that sticky, you know? Why do you think like the product is that sticky or like the retention rate so good is it the branding is it like the the touch and feel like because I'm, I'm sure i'm sure you have you know a number of competitors now um that are trying to get in the space but when you when you take a look back and you think about people kind of keep coming back for dude wipes and coming back for dude wipes yeah yeah what do you kind of believe is like the reason what kind of keeps them coming back it is that a wipe gets you much cleaner than a dry piece of toilet paper at, at the end of the day, you know, a, a wipe cleans you, gets everything out. A dry piece of toilet paper is scratchy, leaves things behind. So that's a better experience, right? People don't know that that's a better experience. So a brand is what helps you get people to try this new experience and buy into this new experience and then have some loyalty because of it, hopefully, right? Like, hey, we like these guys' story. I like this brand. They offer us higher quality products. So so we are premiumly positioned in our category to be like the Ferrari of butt wipes, right? But we only cost $2.99 at Walmart. So like it's an it's an approachable premium. And the brand does all these amazing things to get you to try it and have loyalty. But at the end of the day, if anybody tells you, you know, that the category adoption isn't the primary growth lever for their brand, they're too delusional about their brand. Like no brand can be so great that it can fight against the declining category or like a suboptimal experience. So brand is like that amazing secret sauce. And when you do something first like us, you know, we always say around here, it's one of our company values. If you ain't first, you're last. So, you know, Dude Wipes is the first people to make a product native to this category. Hey, we don't make toilet paper. We only make flushable wipes. This is a better experience. First guy to do that. And now we're at scale. It's hard. It's hard to um, catch that person at that point. So yeah, you know, we're, we're trying to just escape competition than rather compete with people. And when you're in a growing category, it's not a brand dog fight. Like if you're selling beef jerky or, energy drinks or whatever, you know, like household penetration is is pretty much at where it's going to be at, you know, maybe growing a little bit, but then you're really jockeying for position. And what does my brand mean? And how do I bring that newness, which is a great like business exercise to be in. But we were in a growing category and a growing habit. So I would call that a better <laughs> um, position to be in than like a saturated category. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a, I mean, that's a really, really great point. Um, overall, 
it seems like once people understand how it's better than toilet paper, that they just get hooked and they and, and they want to keep kind of coming back to it. Um, and because um, I mean, it is a premium right. versus toilet paper, uh, but at the same time, maybe it's still reachable um, for many people um, and something that that they really, really want. And, um, you know, because it really actually does affect them. Um, how how do you also approach partnerships for dude wipes like i know that you sponsored for example a nascar yeah. driver and um and has done like some like kind of interesting things how do you think about maybe where your consumers are and how to reach them through um through different partnerships that that you're doing one thing we always look at is like brand sponsorship fit so like our nascar driver has to have a personality that can talk about dude wipes and, and have fun about mm-hmm. it so you know, we always say anybody can be a dude. The way we define it around here is like a fun, loving person who doesn't take life too seriously. So if we're going to be with a golfer, we're with Harry Higgs because he's the guy who, you know, lifts his shirt up and shows his belly at the Waste Management Open and, you know, crushes a beer on the 16th. Like that is like a kind of guy who matches the brand. And those are the kind of people we want to be behind. So like always that's, you know, for us a huge lever. And then it's like, where are customers hanging out? So, you know, a lot of guys are our consumers. So they're hanging out in golf and, you know, the people who buy dude wipes at Walmart are watching NASCAR and, you know, we're doing um, soccer sponsorship um, with an MLS team right now because a lot of younger kids are watching soccer and those are ways to get in front of them. So, yeah, it's like finding people who, who fit with us and can tell the story and the message and then, you know, getting with these different um, sponsorships where our consumers are hanging out. I appreciate that you said it's not just, you know, where we believe our audience or our audience could be headed, uh, but it's also that we need the person we're partnering with um, to actually be um you know, someone that doesn't take life too seriously and kind of has the same kind of ethos that a dude um, is was actually ha- uh, founded upon. Um, and so um, that's actually um, pretty, uh, pretty cool and interesting about how you actually select your different kind of partnerships and the people that you want to be associated with with dude, which is pretty cool. And that goes down to like the micro influencer level for everyone out there doing influencer, you know, marketing and research and stuff too. It's like big or small, just find people that align with your brand, make that your first like gating item and then, and then go knock them out. But just cause somebody has got a good rate. Oh, they got a great rate for this following. Well, if they don't match your brand, it's not, you're not going to get that ROI. You're not going to get that like hook, you know? Right. No, Totally. Totally, totally. Um, and then, and then it's just inauthentic, you know. Yeah, right. Um, you know, and so, and that, and and you know, nobody likes inauthentic inauthenticity. So, um, yeah, then it feels like an ad. <laughs> exactly, exactly. How do you think overall? I mean, obviously, I mean, I think you're projected what to do like ninety million this year in sales. Is that right? Um, which yeah. is extraordinary. Um, yeah. That's that's incredible. Um, where do you think about overall now? Um, the vision for for dude wipes and um and or or dude products is it is it eventually to you know entertain um and and like an acquisition is it to run this um throughout your um y- your whole life i mean what do you kind of think about overall like the actual vision um of a company in terms of ownership 
Yeah, in terms of ownership, we are always open to partnerships, right? Like every time we reach a new mm-hmm. plateau, it's like, do we need a partner to get to this next level? Um, so mm-hmm. different challenges may present themselves. We're like, hey, you know, we got to go raise 70 million bucks. I mean, one one comparison I like to do is we're, we're POSing about the same right now. So sell through at retail as liquid death. So we could raise $70 million and, and go put it to work, but it's about when we could really put that to work in a productive way. Um, so we're really figuring out like the platform and the formula right now to understand where all this capital would go. And each year we're getting so much better at that, that, you know, at one point it could be interesting to like go get some rocket fuel put it into this, bring on a partner, you know, do some scaling, um, some things like going international, like take more of a build out and more of a team. Um, but, you know, at the same point, you look at like something like Sarah Blakely did with Spanx, like, yeah, you also don't need to do that, you know, to take it to the, uh, you know, to the end of the road and, and sell it to the big uh, conglomerate and everything like that. So we always say, you know, we, we should run this company like we're going to hand it to our grandchildren which means like doing things the right way, investing in the right things um, and and being profitable and and figuring out the formula that runs the best. And then at the same time, we have lots of optionality to look at growth levers, you know, if and when we need them to take us to the next level. So always open-minded, but we don't have the luxury of running the business, not like we're going to hand it to our grandchildren because it's got to be profit. We got to continue to grow those lines with the bank. We got to serve our customers in, in all those ways. So we can think of a bunch of fun things to do um, with larger capital structure. But you know what? We do a bunch of fun stuff right now, too. So, yeah, it's uh, it's always just kind of living in the present, being mindful of all of these different opportunities we could take advantage of. Um, but just, you know, staying true to what we know right now. I, I appreciate that because it's like, you know, as you say, like you could go out and raise a big round and it looks awesome on paper. But at the same time, what do you actually want to spend that money on? What it actually makes sense that you're not currently doing? And it seems like you're in a good position because it's like, well, that question gets harder and harder to, you know, answer um, year over year in terms of what we would do. So why actually do it? I mean, maybe it's international, but, you know, that also presents, you know, a whole new range of, ch- of challenges as well when, when it comes to the build out. Um, so that's, um, that's super, super cool. How you, how you're approaching building uh, do wipes is this like next kind of phase, which you're, you know, going to soon cross, um, the, the hundred million dollar mark, um, revenue per year, which is just e- e- extremely exciting. What's one book that's inspired you personally and one book that's inspired you professionally? Yeah. Uh, personally, I read a good book this year. Um, the mind body prescription, has been a cool book personally I read this year. Cause like as an entrepreneur, you, you know, you have a, you have a point where you realize you also have to like focus on your health and you can't keep, you know, chasing the business. Otherwise you'll like spin out or you'll burn out. So, you know, always been conscious of that, like get your exercise in, you know, go meditate, like do stuff like that. Um, but what the mind body prescription talks about a lot is that, you know, everything in your mind and body are so interconnected that literally if you're not taking care of one, the other can't work properly. So I used to look at it as only like anti-burnout, but it's like, no, also 
taking care of your body is going to help your mind perform better and you're going to make more money because of it. And then taking care of your mind appropriately is going to help prevent all sorts of injuries and, you know, skin diseases and all these different things that they go down in the book that typically are, um, you know, doctors will prescribe them as like, that was a physical ailment. This guy's finding out, no, really, that was a mental ailment that was manifesting itself physically in, you know, an ulcer or a sore back or a sore neck or oh, eczema. He's essentially it. proving these things aren't physical diseases. They, they started with a mental issue. So yeah, mind, body, and just kind of doubling down on just trying to be really um, mindful of both sing- things because how, you know, much they interplay. And then um, on the business books, I think I've heard some guys talk about them on your podcast before, but just the Jack Trout, Al Reese, you know, classics on positioning. Um, so yeah. marketing warfare is one that I really liked by those guys. And that was essentially that whole lesson about like not making do deodorant was basically every war in the history of mankind has been one on who had the most concentrated troops on the most narrow point of attack. So it's like, you got to like line up the troops and just attack one spot. And that's when we, you know, started having good takeaways. Like we just got to line up the capital and the energy behind this disrupting toilet paper mentality and, and focus and go after and just position solely there kind of deal. Amazing. Amazing. Sean, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Mike, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, keep keep pumping out the great work. It's it's helping guys like us listening, you know, to all the different guests you come on um, because you get a lot of people with with great experience, whether you're bringing on founders or, you know, the VC community. Um, yeah, you're helping people understand a pretty complicated landscape. So I uh, appreciate you having having me on. That's super kind, Sean. That's super kind. Well, I really appreciate you listening to the show and and really grateful for you to come on it. So thank you. Right on, dude. And there you have it. It was such a pleasure chatting with Sean. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter at Mike Gelb and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone. Mike.